It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com In this next set of episodes, we head back to the continent of Asia for another country that has never been colonized by any European power. Before 1938, this country was called Siam, and we'll cover the reasons for the change in this name in the next episode. The country is the third largest constitutional monarchy in the world, and the governance structure is very similar to that of Great Britain's. In 2016, their monarchy changed hands, and Prince Vajiralongkorn was crowned king, and is currently ruling as Rama X. Rama X's private life choices have come under public scrutiny, but in all credit to him, he does know how to pick a name. And across these three episodes, I'm not going to critique the Thai royal family because I do want these episodes to be aired in Thailand. Rather, I will talk about perhaps administrative failures on the part of Thailand's current government. But let's talk about Rama Ten's name-picking skills. Because his favourite pet poodle was named Air Chief Marshal Fufu. And not only does that make Fufu the most powerful dog in the world, I would contest that he is probably one of the cutest dogs in the world too. Sorry, sorry. I know I get sidetracked when I mention Air Chief Marshal Fufu, so that's the last you'll hear of him for now. Because in July of 2020, large-scale protests erupted across the country against the current government, demanding reforms in both the constitution and the monarchy. Oh, and John Oliver did a segment on this country's frankly quite appalling depictions of Adolf Hitler on everyday spaces, like t-shirts and promotional billboards. So in these next three episodes, let's understand the causes behind the widespread discontent against the structure of administration in the Southeast Asian country of the Kingdom of Thailand. Before we begin, I wanted to flag a quick update on a situation I've talked a bit about before. In late August of 2020, China has illegally occupied land in seven border territories of Nepal. I'm unclear as to what the extent of this colonization is, but Nepali authorities are denying Chinese occupation, and I'd like to see how this story unfolds. But let's get back to talking about Thailand. 
Thailand sits at the center of the Indo-Chinese Peninsula and is bordered by Myanmar and Laos to the north and Cambodia and Laos in the east. To its south lie Malaysia and the Gulf of Thailand and it's bordered by the Andaman Sea to the west. It is connected to Malaysia through the Isthmus of Malacca and we'll talk more about that across the episode. It also shares a maritime boundary with Vietnam which has also proven a source of conflict over the years. The story of human inhabitation on the peninsula is actually the oldest so far on this show as the first signs appeared way back around 20,000 years ago. Well it's actually even before that as the earliest hominids might have appeared well over 100,000 years ago as homo erectus migrated from Africa to Asia around that time. The exact dates of the homo erectus migration are very very unclear and have been thoroughly debated. But there have been human teeth found in South China dated back somewhere between 8 and 120,000 years ago. Back to concrete evidence though. Well, approximations of concrete archaeological evidence which do suggest the existence of a continuously occupied Indo-Chinese peninsula for about 20,000 years beginning with a thriving Paleolithic culture in the region. The earliest signs of rice cultivation and wall paintings appear in the Neolithic period which was around 2500 BCE. As with all other societies, the earliest societies appear to have been nomadic hunter-gatherers which did not settle down for a while due to an abundance of forest and food resources so there was no need to settle down and start farming. Archaeological evidence for agricultural settlements existing begins from around 2000 BCE. Then came the Bronze and Iron Ages with several signs of dispersed settlements around the 1st millennia BCE. Before the end of the 1st millennia BCE, tribal settlements had begun to coalesce into proto-historic kingdoms. Excavations in Benchiang, a small village in northeastern Thailand, have revealed a wealth of evidence of early Thai settlements such as bronze vessels and implements. Chinese chronicles document the first mention of Thai people around the 6th century BCE. There also appears to have been a southward migration of some Chinese people of Mon and Khmer descent in the 1st millennia BCE. The first major kingdom to control the territory belonging to modern-day Thailand was the Kingdom of Funan. The state had its capital in Cambodia and extended to regions of modern-day Thailand, and it appears to have been established around the 2nd century BCE. The Funan economy was based on maritime trade and maintained close commercial ties with India. They had developed agricultural systems and its ruling classes ascribed to Hindu faiths. Meanwhile, in the millennia that had passed since their migration from South China, the Khmer people had settled in the Mekong River Valley, centered at Angkor in Cambodia. The Mon people, meanwhile, had occupied large parts of Myanmar and the Northern Highlands. Fast forward to the 6th century AD or current era, and you saw the weakening of the Funan Empire. The Mons were the first to take advantage of this by establishing various kingdoms in the peninsula. the two main ones being dwaravati and haripunjaya simultaneously in myanmar the pagan empire began to develop the mon much like the funan were incredibly receptive to international trade especially that from india and as a result one can find indian artistic and literary influences among mon artifacts in the 8th century 
missionaries from Sri Lanka introduced modern kingdoms to Theravada Buddhism, a sect of Buddhism which they eagerly accepted. They relayed the message of Buddhism to the Khmer and Malay societies, and this marked the start of a peaceful coexistence of Hinduism and Buddhism in the region, and Buddhism became the official religion of the Mon and Khmer peoples. The Khmer began to place added emphasis on the Hindu concept of kingship over time, and eventually claimed Varavati under Angkor rule. The Khmer built several incredible palaces and temples across Angkor to chronicle their kingdom. In fact, they went slightly overboard with the buildings. They spent so much manpower and resources on the construction of architectural marvels that they forgot all about the elaborate agricultural system that had been set up by the Funans. This was a major hit to their economy, which led to the Khmer Kingdom becoming weaker by the 12th century. Tradition sets the date at 1238, where Thai chieftains overthrew the Khmer Kingdom at Sukhothai. The establishment of the Kingdom of Sukhothai is widely regarded as the emergence of a distinct Thai nation-state. Let's rewind just a little though. Thai peoples are classified as speakers of the Thai language and thus belong to the Thai ethno-linguistic group. The earliest Chinese records of Thai peoples place their existence in around the 7th century BCE. These people lived in mostly scattered villages before the emergence of small principalities under the rule of Thai-speaking elite. Sukhothai was located on the banks of Meinam Yom, some 375 kilometers north of present-day Bangkok. After the capture of Sukhothai, it was fortified by warriors who were fleeing Mongol invasions of smaller Thai kingdoms and became increasingly strong. The first recorded king of Sukhothai was Ramkham Haying, or Ram the Great. He ruled from 1277 to 1317 CE, plundered surrounding vassal states to accrue wealth, and formed a diplomatic alliance with the Chinese Empire. He further developed the ceramic industry and adopted the Devanagari-derived Khmer script to develop the Thai alphabet. On his death, though, Sukhothai declined rapidly due to weak successors, and the kingdom was ceded to the Thai kingdom of Ayutthaya in 1378. Ayutthaya was founded in 1315 by a rich Chinese adventurer named Uthong or Ramithibodi. After founding Ayutthaya, Uthong named the traditional religion Buddhism and constructed a society based on Buddhist and Hindu ethical code. By the end of the 14th century, Ayutthaya was regarded as the strongest power in Southeast Asia and only lacked the manpower to dominate the region. Ramitibodi seized Khmer territory including regions of Angkor and regions in Myanmar. Just a side note that a lot of historical books and articles, Myanmar will be referred to as Burma and Thailand will be referred to as Siam. For the purpose of this podcast episode, I am sticking to the present-day naming convention of both Myanmar and Thailand. The Ayutthaya kingdom was recognized by the Ming dynasty as the rightful successor to Sukhothai, and the Ayutthaya era lasted up until the mid-18th century. The early Thai kingdom was not a single unified state though. Rather, it was a patchwork of self-governing principalities and tributary provinces that pledged allegiance to the kingdom. Through much of the 15th century, the Ayutthaya empire was at loggerheads with the trading port of Malacca, 
in the Malaysian Peninsula. During this phase, Islam came to serve as a symbol of Malay unity against Thai aggression on the peninsula. And we'll talk more about Islam, Malaysia and the rest of the peninsula in coming episodes. Despite never annexing Malacca, Ayutthaya did control the Malaysian Isthmus, which provided to be a valuable economic asset for the country. Thai rulers were absolute monarchs and derived their authority from ideal qualities that they had been imbued with on birth. This meant that the king was seen as a moral exemplar, and while the role of the king varied, the position of the king was likened to that of a divine being or a god. In Ayutthaya society, the socio-political hierarchy was highly stratified and the king stood at its apex. The allocation of land resources was based on political power and influence, and wealth and influence therefore became inextricably linked. Chinese settlers lay outside the canonical social structure and they managed to control both internal and external trade in the region for a while. The 16th century saw an increase in the power of Myanmar and in 1569, Myanmari or Burmese forces aided by Thai rebels who were unsettled and unhappy with the monarchy captured the city of Ayutthaya. A temporary Burmese vassal state was created before 1590 when King Naresuyan mounted an uprising and by 1600 had driven all Burmese troops out of the kingdom. Naresuyan realised that he needed to unify Thailand in order to ward off aggressions by neighbouring kingdoms and established a central administrative structure. He assigned court-appointed officials to govern Ayutthaya's provinces and extended a state contractual system to establish a theoretical monopoly on all manpower. For context, the initial system of citizenship within Ayutthaya had each citizen registered as a property of the state. You could then pay your way out of the contractual bind to the state by paying a tax. Narisuan changed this such that people were no longer bound to the state, but rather were directly bound to the king himself. The Thai economy had a replete resource of food, with expansions of rice cultivation and supply taking place under Naresuan and incoming centuries. International trade also picked up in this period, with Portuguese settlers capturing the port of Malacca and Thai exports helping Southwest Asia overcome a food shortage. Ayutthaya signed two treaties towards the end of the 16th century, giving the Portuguese and Dutch a right to trade in the kingdom. The 17th century saw an expansion of international Thai trade, with new routes being established with Japan, the Dutch, and English trading companies. A bifurcation of these trade alliances within Thailand led to a bloody period of dynastic struggle due to familial mistrust among various members of royal circles who aligned with different trading companies. The brief period of infighting gave way to a period of prosperity in the second quarter of the 18th century, though. Before I move on, I just want to point out that this also formed the seeds of collaboration of Thailand with both Japan and with England. And this is crucial when it comes to World War II because England and Japan were at loggerheads with one another and Thailand had to declare an allegiance to one of the two powers. The peace and cultural progress did not last long though, as Thai territory was invaded by armies from Myanmar in 1765. The city capitulated and was burnt down in 1767, and the country was reduced to chaos. The 
only thing that saved the Thai people from being subjugated by the forces from Myanmar was a Chinese invasion on Myanmar that significantly weakened the Myanmari kingdom. Provinces in Thailand were proclaimed as individual states, and most of Thailand's literature, archival data, and art was burnt to ashes as the country plunged into general disarray. Despite the chaos, Thailand managed to make an incredibly quick recovery under the leadership of Thaksin. The military leader had escaped Ayutthaya during the Myanmari siege and quickly amassed a following to mount a resistance to invaders from Myanmar. After winning back some territory, Thaksin assumed the royal title and founded a new capital at Thonburi, south of the burnt ex-capital of Ayutthaya. By 1765, in just nine years' time, Thaksin had managed to reunite the Thai Empire and had annexed Changmei. Because of his speedy success, he did get slightly in over his head and was eventually deposed and executed by his own ministers. Thaksin's deposition gave way to his general named Chakri in 1782, who had played a significant role in the fight against Myanmar alongside Thaksin. Chakri has founded the roots of the modern-day monarchy in Thailand. He assumed the royal title as King Yotfa or Rama I and founded the modern Thai ruling house. Rama I moved his court to Bangkok, which incidentally is also the modern-day capital of Thailand, and both revived the country's economy and salvaged what little was left of their destroyed artistic heritage. Under Rama I, Thai influence began to once again grow, and in 1795, he seized Batambang and Siam Reap from Cambodia. The growing Thai influence also sparked conflict with Vietnam who faced an existential threat from a growing Thailand, and this conflict lasted through the first half of the 19th century. The Chakri Empire signed regional trade treaties with Britain and the United States, and their expansion halted under the rule of Rama III, which began in 1824. Through the rules of the first three Chakri kings, they managed to attain a degree of political stability for the Kingdom of Thailand. After Rama III's death in 1851, he was succeeded by his half-brother Mongkut, who reigned as Rama IV and went on to rule for 17 years. If you haven't picked it up by now, the Thai ruling house successive rulers take on the names of Rama followed by their serial number in the successionary chain of the Thai monarchy. It started with Rama I in Chakri and has gone on to Rama X with the current king. Let's get back to Mongkut. Mongkut had been placed in a Buddhist monastery when Rama III had taken the throne and over 27 years of his brother's rule had won distinction as a Buddhist monk. As an authority on Pali Buddhist scripture, Mongkut tried reforming Buddhism by removing several superstitions that had arisen over time. But Mongkut was not only single-mindedly religious. Over time, he had also gained scholarly credence in studying both Latin and English, and his reign saw increased engagement with missionaries from France, the US, and the Roman Catholic Church. When he took over, he abolished the old existing trade monopoly of Thailand within the region, and signed a trade treaty with Britain in 1855 to improve foreign relations, and negotiated such similar treaties with other European nations over the coming few years. These treaties 
decreased the barriers to entry for foreign trade. They did so by decreasing the capacity of the Thai government to tax foreign enterprises, thereby leading to substantial expansions of trade with the West. Mongkut thus revolutionized not only the religion within Thailand, but also the Thai economy to become increasingly globalized and the total value of annual trade rose from 5.6 million baht in 1850 before he came into power to 10 million baht in just 1868. He began reforming the legal and administrative systems as well in the country by improving the living conditions of slaves and creating a mint to standardize Thai coinage. In 1868, Mongkut unfortunately passed away from malaria and his son Chulalongkorn, who reigned as Rama V, took over the kingdom. Of all the past kings we've talked about, Rama V is the most celebrated and revered and he ruled from 1868 till 1910. Like his father, he maintained the equilibrium of foreign trade relations and avoided any colonial threat to capture of Thailand. He established the first postal and telegraph systems, created government ministries on health and education, and very importantly, he worked to eradicate human slavery in Thailand. Chulalongkorn's son Vajiravurd ruled as Rama VI and honored his father's legacy by founding a university in his name. The modern flag of Thailand was adopted during this reign, and Vajiravurd sent troops to Europe to aid allied forces in World War 1. Vajiravurd passed away in 1925, and with his death came the end of the absolute monarchy in Thailand. I'll put this into context in the next episode, where we begin to talk about the establishment of a constitutional monarchy in Thailand. Just to summarize, Thailand developed as a nation over the course of several thousand years. with the origins of modern day thailand lying in the capture of suko thai by ethno-linguistic thai peoples the kingdom grew as a regional power under the rule of the ayutthaya empire finally the roots of the modern thai monarchy rest in the late 18th century with the appointment of chakri who ruled as rama the first over the course of the next episode we will look at the political trends that have shaped the political sentiments of thailand in 2020 and how they managed to have the cutest air chief marshal of all time for now please do subscribe follow us on instagram and facebook and leave a review on apple podcasts such that we can expand our listener base thank you so much for joining me on this episode of matterfile this has been about the pre 20th century history of thailand